Well, I just want to welcome everyone here to Embrace at all of our campuses. We are so excited that you are here. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are overjoyed uh, that you have come today. also want to give a special shout out to Aurora Methodist Church. Aurora started joining us a couple of weeks back. And they will be joining us via video for the message every single week. And we are honored, absolutely honored to be a part of what God is doing there. As a small town kid myself, uh, nothing fires me up more uh, than Embrace. Grace getting to partner with these different churches, just being able to be a tiny part of bringing Jesus to these communities. We're thrilled, truly honored uh, that you have decided to join us at all campuses and even network churches. Would you put it up and welcome Aurora Methodist Church with us? Can we put it up for them? Now, it's kind of random to share, uh, but one of the questions I often get asked is, where does a message series come from? Oftentimes, I'll get asked, like, how do we decide what we cover? How do we decide where a series will come from? And there's actually a bunch of different ways that a message series comes about. First off, kind of cool, every single week, there's a group of people who help put the message together. This has been true, I'm going to guess, five or six years, a group of people. And so this message, I preached half of it, the half that I had had finished to a group on Tuesday. I call that group the firing squad. Nothing is off limits. They shoot holes in it. They challenge it. They speak into it. What can be clarified? What can be changed? Uh, they add humor to it. So I do that and then I take all their ideas. I finish the message and then I bring the whole thing to them again on Wednesday. And nothing, again, is off limits on Wednesday. They speak into it and challenge it. Uh, and and it, it, it's awesome. I love being able to come up here and not share the Bible according to Adam. But instead, I love being able to share, hey, here's the word of God through a group of the most wonderful Jesus-centered people who are founded on God's word that I can, I can even imagine. So that's that part. But where a message series will come from, uh, again, is a bunch of different places. Sometimes it will come from a campus pastor. One of the campus pastors and the group will say, hey, gosh, I one of the things I just keep hearing over and over again is, is this. It'd be awesome if we did a series on that. So that's one place. And other times, uh, it will come from questions that we hear as a group of pastors, questions from the people of Embrace. What are, like, what are people wrestling with in their own walk with Jesus? What are they struggling with? What, are, like, what do they want to know more about? Uh, other times, the message series will come from me praying. I'll go to a coffee shop. There's something about Jesus and coffee that like the Holy Spirit just like, it's amazing. And so I'll do that and I'll just pray like, God, I got your Bible open. Like, what do you want to say to us? Like, what, what do you have for us? So that's another way. Another way uh, is, is when God is, is speaking to me in my own time. When I'm just opening up the Bible, not to share it with anybody else, but just to hear it for me. Uh, just for God to speak through his word to me. Just what is he praying to me? And, and so sometimes uh, that's how a series will come about. And this is actually what happened with the series that we're in. Our series is called Great Is Thy Faithfulness. And how this series came about is because a few months back, I was going through the Old Testament. It went through the book of, of Judges. And the book of Judges sounds like an autobiography of Judge Judy. Um, I don't, uh, quick side note about Judge Judy. Judge Judy is rich. She is rich and she literally only works 52 days a year. It's amazing what you can find on Google. But anyways, I was reading through Judges. And uh, Judges sounds like a book of the Bible that would be terrible and you'd want to skip over. That's the complete opposite of reality. The book of Judges is powerful. It's awesome. It's honestly one of my favorite books of the Bible. And so I'm reading through Judges, and as you read through it, if you do, and I think you should, uh, one of the things that is impossible to miss 
Because it happens over and over again is the Israelites, who are God's people, the Israelites, they forget about God. And they don't listen to God. And they do their own thing. And they are completely unfaithful to him. And as a result, they find themselves in a mess. They're unfaithful and they find themselves in a total disaster. They're attacked by others. They're ruled by others. Until finally, they cry out to God. And as a result, God hears them and he rescues them. And as I said, this literally happens over and over and over again. They forget about God. They get into a mess. They cry out to God. God rescues them. They forget about God. They get into a mess. They cry out to God. And God rescues them. They forget about God. They get into a mess. They cry out to God. And God rescues them. This happens in chapters 2 of Judges. Again, separate occasion in chapter 3. Again in chapter 4. Again in chapter 6. Again in chapter 10. Again in chapter 13. It is crazy. And I have to be honest that as I read through this book and I see it all take place... At first, all I can think is why in the world do they keep forgetting about God if it only leads to a disaster? Like why do they continue to forget about God if it only leads them to a mess? Like why do they keep peeing on the same electric fence? Farm kids will get that, right? I mean, the Israelites, they have to be the slowest people ever. But the truth is, it's easy to look at them and think that they're a bunch of idiots But for myself, as I read through Judges this time, more than any time before, I began to realize that I so often do the same exact thing. Stronger than any other time I've read through it, I began to realize that so often I do the same exact thing. I mean, when it comes to God, so often I'm hot and then I'm cold. So often with Jesus, I love Jesus and then I don't. So often I want to hear from God and it's like, I want to listen to you. And so would you speak so clearly that I couldn't miss it, God. And I'm going to open your word and I want to listen to you until I don't. I love Jesus on Sundays and then Monday morning at 7 a.m. comes and I walk away. And so often, again, I'm just being honest, I am completely unfaithful. One of my favorite lines in an old hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And every time I hear this hymn, it's like I can't sing that line loud enough. It's like from the pit of who I am, I can't sing it as loud as I want to. Why? Because so often it's me. It's me prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave, not the God I hate, not the God I don't want to be with. Prone to leave the God I love. And so this is me, but I just got to ask, do you ever feel this way? I mean, when it comes to God and following him, do you ever see the unfaithfulness inside of you? Times when you're wishy-washy with God, and you follow him in one area, but not in another. And you follow God here, but not in your dating life. And you follow God here really, really well, but not in your private life. And you follow God here and you're the loud Christian at the office, but not in your financial life. And you follow God here, but not in your work life. And you follow him here, but not in your family life. And you follow him here, but not in your fill-in-the-blank life. And whether we've been following Jesus for six weeks or 16 years, we can just see the times that we are unfaithful to God. And as a result, we find ourselves in a mess. As a result of our unfaithfulness, we find ourselves in a complete disaster. We find ourselves broken and empty. We find ourselves completely apart from God. 
as a result. And maybe today across our campuses, maybe today that's exactly where we are right now. It's us. And maybe it's something big that's taken us away from God, like an affair or an addiction. I'm guessing across our campuses, it's not an affair 10 years ago. I'm guessing there's a group of us. It's our affair last night. It's our addiction today. That right now we are just wrestling with, we are battling, we are hiding, we are trying to to act like we have our lives together, and yet it's a mess. I've shared this before, but one of the most unique parts about my job is also one of the greatest honors. It's getting to meet with, with people at some of the lowest moments of their life. And it's people, wonderful people, just like you and I, who've made a series of bad decisions. And it's led them to something like an affair. And at first, the affair was really, really fun. And you had this connection that you haven't had with your spouse. And you can't even remember how long. Like, you just had this little game that you were playing. And it was so fun until it turned into a hand grenade. And it didn't just blow up your marriage. Instead, it blew up your kids. The kids that you do anything for. And it didn't just hurt your kids. You had to bring that to your mom and dad. And it's like, mom and dad, you just gave me the perfect picture of what a marriage looks like. And yet, I got to tell you about this. I got to tell you about this. Maybe you partied back in college, and back in college it was really, really cool. Now you're out of college. It's just like whenever you feel stressed, the only thing you can do is you just start drinking and you can't stop. You just can't stop. Like There's this pain inside of you. There's this restlessness inside of you. You're just like, I will do anything to experience peace. And so you just drink. Maybe it's struggling with porn. Maybe you can't stop shopping. Maybe you're taking pain pills and you don't have any pain to take it forward. And you're just in this dark place totally away from God again. Maybe for us, this is where we are right now. And we just can't believe that we're still struggling with the same sin that we have for years. We just can't believe that we're struggling with the same crap that we have been for most of our lives. It's like we love Jesus and then we run after this girl and we love Jesus and then it's this thing over here and we run Jesus and this addiction and we run over here and then we're all over the place. And so maybe it's something big that's, that's taken us away from God, but on the flip side for some of us, maybe it's something that is much more subtle. I've found that if Satan can't trip us up one way, he just changes his approach. If Satan can't trip us up one way, he just looks for a different angle to get us. If he can't get us with something big, especially the churchgoer who's got all our, our lives perfectly, he just subtly begins to speak into our lives, and slowly but surely he leads us away from Jesus. He can't trip us up one way, he just changes his approach. So maybe for some of us, our addiction of choice is our job. It's called being a workaholic. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's this thing that we're consumed with in our life, our hobby, our possessions, our status, our home, our crap, our whatever. And honestly, truth be told, these things are just more important to us than God. I know in my own life, one of my own greatest battles was being self-sufficient. My dad, the one thing he taught me is how to work hard. It's my strength. I can work hard. And God is great in everything, but I want to do things my way. And God is great in everything, but I want to be in control. And God is great in everything, but I think I know what's best. And God is great in everything, but I'm just too busy for him. And unintentionally, I completely walk away from God. And yet, what's so crazy, it's whether it's something big like an affair 
or something small like being a workaholic, when we are unfaithful to God, they both lead us to the same exact place. That's what we fail to see. Yeah, big stuff for sure. But those small, subtle things, they lead us to the same exact place, being restless, being broken, being empty, being miserable, having no joy, no peace, and it's just not good. We find ourselves totally away from God. So now going back to the book of Judges, again, the Israelites, they're like a broken record when it comes to forgetting about God. It's impossible to miss, but so much more than that. As I read through this book of the Bible, what am I struck by? I'm in awe, total awe of what? The faithfulness of God. When I read through this book, it's where the series came from. I was just in awe, total awe of the faithfulness of God. I mean, the Israelites, they keep forgetting about God, and they know what God wants them to do, and yet they do the complete opposite thing, and yet every single time they cry out, what happened? God rescues them. Again, they are totally unfaithful. It's like, when are you ever going to learn that when you do this, it leads to this, and yet every single time they are broken, and they realize their crud, they cry out, and what happens? God hears them, he sends help, and he rescues them. This is good news, isn't it? It's like the only thing greater than their stupidity is God's faithfulness. Switching to us, the only thing greater than our stupidity, the only thing greater than our unfaithfulness is the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. If we forget everything else, what I want us to hear today is this, God is faithful even when we are completely unfaithful. Again, God is faithful even when we are completely unfaithful. So again, that's good news, wonderful news, right? And yet I just want to dig in on one of the specific times that we see God's faithfulness in, in, this, in this book because there's something that I do not want us to miss. Again, this happens over and over again, but there's one specific thing that I think is so important for all of us to hear. And so looking at Judges 3, cha- uh, Judges chapter 3, starting in verse 7, here is one of the countless times that this happens. It says, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot about the Lord their God. Again, they totally forgot about God. And what happened as a result? Well, let's read verse 8. It says, Then the Lord burned with anger against Israel, and he turned them over, and the Israelites served Cushan. Cushan was a foreign ruler. The Israelites served him for eight years. Again, they got themselves into a mess, and for eight years, they served a foreign ruler. For eight years, they had to work for this, for this other guy until what happened? Verse 9. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, when they cried out, the Lord raised up a rescuer to save them. Again, as we said, this same situation happens over and over again. The people didn't listen. They got themselves into a mess. Our God is faithful even when we are unfaithful. And yet what I want us to see and what I want us to hear is this, that God, he waits until the people cry out to rescue them. Again, every single time he comes through, but God, he waits until the people cry out before he comes through. Again, God is faithful when we're unfaithful and he comes through every single time. And yet he waits until they cry out. He waits until they see their need for him, until they ask for his help. God is faithful always, and yet the linchpin to his help, the the defining moment to his rescue is for us to cry out. 
And so coming back to us in in the times that we are unfaithful, whether it's an affair or we're just consumed with life and we find ourselves broken at rock bottom, what should be our very first response? To cry out. After our biggest mistake, after we, we slip or we just get consumed with our lives, we get consumed with this, with this other thing, as soon as we realize our wrong, what's our best and first and really only response? It's to cry out to him. And so what does it mean to cry out to God? It just means acknowledging our mistake, admitting our need, confessing our sin, and asking for his help. Admitting our need and just asking for his, his help. And so what, it, what does it look like? It's just getting to that place where it's like, Jesus, like, I've screwed up big time. Jesus, I've made a mistake. Father, I have screwed up in this huge way or in this small way that I actually didn't think was that big of a deal. And yet it just has totally led me away from you. Like, I, I admit my need for you. And I also just ask for your help. Like, Jesus, I need you a savior. I don't need five steps to a better life. Instead, I need a cross and an empty tomb. I need a perfect savior, one who can come and pull me out of this mess that I dug myself into. Like I need someone, like God, I am powerless over this addiction. I don't know up from down. I don't know the right decision to get out of this place that I got myself into. And so I, I admit my need and I ask for your help, God. This from the pit of who we are, like, I just need help. I'm just waving the, the flag of surrender. Like, God, I just, will you, will you, I hope that you see, like, just like how badly I, I just, yes, I am wrong. There's no buts anymore. There's no blame game anymore. Instead, I have been wrong, and I need your help. I know for myself, it seems like the longer I follow Jesus, the quicker I am to cry out. Longer I've been following him, the quicker I am to ask for his help. Why? Because it's like, God, I don't want to spend eight years serving this foreign ruler. And I don't want to spend eight years serving this addiction. I don't want to spend eight weeks in this affair. And I don't want to spend eight days. I don't want to spend even eight moments. Instead, the moment that I see my need, the moment that I realize where I've gotten myself, the moment that I wake up, the moment that I see my brokenness, the moment that I just see all the crap for what it really is, that same moment, I just cry out. It's like, I don't want to wait. Not eight years, not eight, eight days, God. I just cry out. At all of our campuses, I'm not sure where you're standing right now. I'm not sure where you've gotten yourself in. I'm not sure what your unfaithfulness looks like, but I just want to encourage you, wherever you are, you cry out, God will hear you. There's nothing that can separate us from God's love. There's no place we can go, we're told in Psalm 139, away from God's presence, wherever we are, we cry out for help. He will come and rescue us. He will come and save us. Wrapping things up today, wow. Becky and I lived in Kentucky for a few years when I went to seminary. And uh, while we were there, I did an internship at a church. It met in a mechanic shop not in a trendy hipster mechanic shop, a crappy, filthful mechanic shop that was nasty. And, um, but I'll never forget the story that our pastor, Pastor David, shared with me about this one lady. You see, the church I interned at was a recovery church. So it was a small church, a few hundred people filled with, with alcoholics, with drug addicts, with sex addicts. The pastor himself was a recovering alcoholic. 
during that internship for the, the semester, I focused my time with the sex addict group. There's this one lady that I got to know as well. There's one lady that came into the church who was an addict, and God got a hold of her life and totally changed her. I mean, this, this 40-year-old lady, I mean, she, she, she met Jesus, and every part of who she was was no longer the same. I mean, she was changed from the inside out. She got clean. She got sober. She was back on the right track. I mean, she was, like, she was just at such a great place. She was also on probation. And so she just needed to, like, just... She just needed to stay on the right path. Well, one night she went out and she slipped and she used again. My pastor said, I will never forget it. The next morning I came to church. I didn't hear anything of it. It wasn't even a Sunday. It was a work day. I came to church and there early in the morning was this lady on the front step of the church. He just said, what? why are you here so early? Like, what are you doing? She said right away, she's like, last night I went out and used. I'm embarrassed, and I broke probation. I'm probably going back to jail. But she's like, the first and really the only place I thought to run for help was the church. So that's why I'm here. She's like, I didn't know who else to go to, but I knew the one person I go, could go to, which was God himself. And so that's why, that's why I'm here today, just, just asking for him to rescue me. Powerful stuff, right? And it's powerful, why? Because so often... When we make a mistake, when we screw up, when we blow it big time or it's even something small and we, we feel ashamed, what's the, our first response? It's to run away from God. After our screw up, when we make the front page of the newspaper, what's our first response? To, be, to completely run away from the church, to hide in shame, to get as far as we can from anybody or anyone who reminds us of Jesus or will bring up Jesus. We try and get as far as we possibly can. Why? Because we are so convinced that we've ran out of chances. We, we've done this for how many times? And the last time we did it, we promised our spouse we would never do it again. We promised our dad who's bailed us out for years that we wouldn't do the same thing again to our family. We made the same promise to everybody, our friends, and to Jesus himself, this time is the last time, and yet it wasn't the last time. And so we just believe the lie that we've ran out of God's faithfulness. We, we, we've ran him dry. Like he's, he's finally come to the end, and yet I'm not sure if you've heard, but our God is faithful. I'm not sure if you've heard, but he is faithful, bigger than ourselves. He's faithful from one generation to the next. I'm not sure if you've heard. David tried to explain it. He couldn't. And so he just said, our God, his faithfulness, it reaches to the heavens. Like his faithfulness, it reaches to the clouds. Like I don't know how to say this. His faithfulness, it has no end, no boundaries, no limits. And yet our God, he waits for us to cry out. He waits for us to ask his rescue. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Heavenly King, we come before you needy. Regardless of where we are, we're needy. Like kids, we are needy for everything. Lord, across our campuses, if there's anyone here who just knows we're, we're away from you, we're uh, apart from you, we've walked away We've screwed up. God, I pray that even now, we wouldn't wait eight moments. Right now, even in this moment, we just cry out to God, Jesus, we need you. Jesus, I, I realize 
the lie that I'm in. I realize the, the pain I've caused. I realize the deception. I realize my sin, God. I, do, I just acknowledge, I admit my, my need for you. I admit, I confess my sin, and I ask for your help. I ask you to rescue me. At all campuses, I pray that that's us, that we wouldn't wait. We just right now just ask for God's help, ask for his rescue. Lord, we love you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.